coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. This is one of those days where there's so much going on that I'm almost um, paralyzed not knowing where to go because there's so many headlines to get to. But I want to get to something hyper-local first. I say hyper-local, but there are folks all over the country and all over the world watching the uh, Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility debate. And uh, joining me right off the bat is uh, our our legal go-to. She's the one that uh, has been volunteering with dozens of others, hundreds of others actually, getting signatures on the petition. And Alex Joseph joins us. Congratulations to you and everyone who's been out there on the streets in this heat, collecting more than 80,000 signatures. That is, by the way, how many more than was needed? It is almost 15,000 more than was needed. Nice. So for those who'd still like to put their signature on the petition, though, can they do that? Or are you guys just going to go ahead and turn in what you got? We definitely are still collecting signatures. So people can stop by our east side or west side locations. They are open until 8 p.m. every day. Mm -hmm. And we're collecting those signatures still, even though we've gone over the threshold of what we need, because we expect a serious fight from City Hall when we are verifying those petitions. Well, it's not even that you expect it. We know it's going to happen. They have hired outside counsel now to help pour over these signatures and start dickering around with you know, nitpicking who is and who isn't uh, eligible to sign the petition. That's correct. They've hired a law firm called Bondurant, which is the most expensive law firm in the uh, in the city. And that will be the law firm that is fighting on the city's behalf to disqualify signatures. So the city will be arguing that the signatures we've collected are not valid. And I just want everyone to think about that. These are people who have signed the petition, most of them meeting the qualifications. They live in Atlanta. They're registered voters. And it is going to be the city that is seeking to cross out and throw away these signatures of the type of people that the city claims to represent. I also don't know if you follow uh, Alex Zip on Twitter, but he had some statistics that I thought were pretty impressive for you guys. Uh, no Atlanta mayoral candidate has ever gotten 75,000 votes. Uh, Congressman Nakema Williams uh, got not, never got that in a primary. Uh, I mean, there's 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 so many things you can point out here that there, there weren't that many people who voted in a in a mayoral runoff uh, for the current mayor of Atlanta, let alone somebody who like no politician for city office has been able to garner that many votes in recent history. It's it's a monumental right. task. I mean, we've gotten 80,000 raw signatures. The campaign right now is verifying those signatures, so they're making sure that. They're written legibly, that people's addresses match their voting registration information online. And people are actually receiving calls and texts. They need to come into our offices Mm -hmm. to correct any illegible or problematic signatures. So we're actually starting the process of making sure that these signatures are valid and will be accepted. But what is important is in the days to come, the city and the city's PR machine is going to try to chip away at this 8,000 number, they're going to say that we actually received less signatures. Mm -hmm. Just because a signature is ruled invalid does not mean that it is not a signature from someone 
who lives in Atlanta or the Atlanta area and does not want this training center. The raw number does not mean that the the illegible signatures or someone that may be signed and put the wrong date, those are still people who wanted their voice to be heard. And there might be legal reasons that their signature doesn't count, but that raw number, it really, really matters. And I don't want us to lose sight of that as we turn to the legal battle over validating the signatures. There was also a a judicial decision today that disallowed the city to alter the deadline. So what impact does that have on what you guys uh, have set before you to do anyway? Right. So a few weeks ago, the referendum campaign filed a lawsuit saying, hey, this requirement that only city of Atlanta residents can go around and collect signatures is unconstitutional. And when they filed that lawsuit, they pointed out that four other states have held that that type of residency requirement for petition gatherers Mm -hmm. is unconstitutional. And the court, the federal judge agreed. He said that requirement is unconstitutional. He ordered the city to issue a new form where that requirement did not show up on the form, the new form. Mm -hmm. And he gave the referendum campaign an additional 60 days. The city appealed that order. They appealed the judge saying that we should not get an extra 60 days. They appealed that order saying that only Atlanta residents should go out and collect signatures. And they requested that the original judge, the one that issued the order, Mm -hmm. grant a stay, basically saying that everything stops while their appeal, the city's appeal, is pending. Today, the judge said, I will not stay anything because the referendum and the gathering of signatures is constitutional. It's being done in a constitutional way. And the judge really went farther than he needed to go because one of the things he said was, you, the city, are alleging that you are harmed by the extra days. You are alleging that you are harmed by non-residents gathering these petitions. But the only thing, the only harm that you've been able to show is that they may win And the fact that they're going to win, that is not a harm to you. In fact, you, from the get-go, were violating their rights by not allowing everyone to go out and gather these petitions. Mm -hmm. So the judge's order was much more severe than you normally see from a federal judge. And my favorite part was, in kind of an aside, he said, look, you could have brought this, this challenge, in state court. But I think we both know that if you bring it in state court— a state court judge is going to find the referendum valid under Camden. And from day one, the legal debate has always been, is this referendum valid? Because there's a very, very recent decision, the Camden case, based on a successful referendum in Camden, that says these types of referendums are possible. And the city of Atlanta has always said that doesn't apply to cities. And here we see a federal judge saying, I think you know it does. We're with Alex Joseph, former state federal prosecutor, also one of the legal volunteers with the Stop Stop, uh, Stop Cop City campaign. She's uh, personally, you said, uh, un- uh, well, are you on Twitter anymore? I think you you said you had. Uh, pers- I just got back on Twitter. Okay. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah, I think you had said something. I want to say it was either in an article or on Twitter that uh, you personally collected like 500 of these signatures yourself. 
Right. I have actually not just over 500 signatures. I have gone through and verified my own signatures. Nice. So these are 500 good signatures. Yeah. And for anyone listening that maybe is intimidated about collecting signatures, because you should text some friends, see if you can get a few signatures together. Right. And you'll be surprised. I have found so much enthusiasm throughout the city. And there's still enthusiasm, even though we've already collected over 80,000 signatures. I'm still every day finding a few friends and neighbors that haven't signed. So I was going to ask you this. Now that you have the 80,000... The, the, the campaign is going to hand those 80,000 to the city, but keep collecting, right? Because you still have, how many more days do you have now that you had that extension? We are going to turn them in on April 21st, which means that one, everyone that wait, needs wait, wait, to- Wait, 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 you, you meant August 21st, right? August 21st, okay. did I say April? Sorry, yeah, yeah. a month. August 21st, so Monday, we are turning in the signatures to the city, mm-hmm. which means if you haven't signed, please go to one of our offices and sign. If you have friends and family and neighbors that haven't signed, please urge them to do so by next Monday. And if you have like, you know, balled up petitions in your backpack at work, you need to bring them into our office. I mean, a friend texted me this morning saying, you gave me a form to fill out two weeks ago. I filled it out at work. And I said, well, you need to bring that in. So next Monday, August 21st is our deadline. We are choosing that deadline, even though we have an extra 60 days. Because one, we think it's important to show that we collected all of these signatures, even though they told us it wasn't possible Mm -hmm. in the original 60 days we were afforded. And we are still hoping to be on the November ballot, which is the school board election. So everyone needs to sign by August 21st. Um, And if you receive a call or text that you've already signed, but there's something wrong with your signature, that Mm -hmm. is not a scam. We are verifying signatures. So please return to our office and uh, write a legible signature the second time. I was going to ask you uh, a question about the timeline. Uh, Before, when the extension was given, I think the last time you were on, as a matter of fact, you told us that this was kind of punting the ballot measure back to something in the spring. Will that now actually change and get on the November ballot again as originally planned? Right. So the reason we have 60 days and that our 60 days expires on August 21st, which is next Monday, is because the clerk's office dragged their feet and took a week to verify Mm -hmm. signatures. So our original deadline was August 14th. So we've actually collected 80,000 signatures in less than 60 days, in like 55 days. So the original 60 days expires on the 21st, which is the day that we will be submitting ballots. It is still our hope that we will make the November ballot, but technically the deadline that is set out in the statute means that we will not make the ballot Mm. because the city has 50 days to argue with us over signatures. There are some requirements related to publishing the referendum on the ballot. Um, So it is possible that we will miss the November ballot. Now it's in the city's hands, just to be clear, like Mm -hmm. they could help us facilitate us getting on the November ballot. Um, That's unlikely. But realistically, the entire campaign agrees that we are going to see enormous resistance from the city when it comes to verification and that they are going to blow past that 50-day deadline. And so getting on the November ballot seems less and less likely because the city has made it clear that they want to fight tooth and nail. And in fact, an appeal is pending. And so I realistically believe that we are going to see many, many lawsuits filed, and I believe one before we end up on a ballot. And so this is no longer really about the Mar- the November ballot or even the March ballot. This is going to be about a stream of lawsuits. But the good news 
is that the referendum campaign intends to file an injunction, which is a, a request for a court order stopping construction, mm. because we can show that we are very likely to succeed with the referendum campaign and likely to get it on the ballot. And so we are optimistic that a judge will give us a stay of the construction while we argue about validating the petition signatures. So I understand that there are a lot of folks such as yourself who are donating their time, but there still has to be a cost to all of this. Is If, oh, if yeah. anyone would like to donate, how, how do they don- who do they donate to? Right. So copcityvote.com has a donation link. And the money goes first and foremost to pay canvassers because at this point, over half of our canvassers are paid Mm -hmm. to collect signatures. And then it will be paid to validate and verify signatures. Um, Most of our legal expenses are donated. We are in donated headquarters. One of our headquarters is the basement of a church. The other one is the basement of a Quaker school. Um, And so, and, you know, we are frequently receiving donations of food for our volunteers. People, artists have donated their skills. So we have received painted clipboards, handmade t-shirts. But we also, I mean, we need to raise millions of dollars and we have been very successful at raising millions of dollars, but you need that amount of money to fight city hall and so and we've had numerous organizations um the american friends uh, society i'm not sure i'm getting that name right but the quakers have given us money new disabled south which is a disability nonprofit, has given us money um uh, georgia conservation voters i mean there is an endless list of organizations that have given us money and even if they haven't given us money they have um, given us paid staffers they have given us resources email lists so i mean we are really taking all donations in all forms. Alex Joseph, one of the many legal advisors with Stop Cop City Campaign. I'm having a hard time saying that today for some reason. Uh, nonetheless, congratulations to you and everyone out there who canvassed and got these 80,000 plus votes and will continue to do so between now and Monday. You guys have uh, fought the heat. You fought City Hall. You uh, are well on your way, it looks like, to getting uh, an opportunity for the citizens of Atlanta to vote on the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. And did they not change it over? I saw something, a flyer had been distributed. It was going to be a public service training center now. That's new lingo. Yeah, a flyer was distributed saying that billionaires were funding the referendum. And (laughs) I assure you, if billionaires were funding the referendum, we would have cuter shirts and fancier headquarters. (laughs) And I would be eating a lot less pizza. Well, nonetheless, uh, a great job done by all by getting those signatures in well before the deadline. Thank you so much for the time and giving us an update on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Naturally, there's much more going on at the Fulton County Courthouse. We will cover it all in today's show. Ron Show on America One Radio, wherever you podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Monday Ron Show on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Allow me to toot my own horn just for this one time. And actually that of a past guest, she's been on the show twice, actually. She is Susan Greenhall of the group Free Speech for People. She has been on the show twice to talk about election security. And I woke up today with folks kind of pinging me uh, on Twitter. Hey, you were guys were talking about this. And she did too. She said, she she actually uh, DM'd me on Twitter and, and said, CNN's going bonkers with this breathless breaking news that you and I were talking about months ago. And she's right. So uh, this tweet that I saw from uh, Brian Allen in a shocking new exclusive from CNN messages reveal alleged involvement of Trump's team in Georgia voting system breach, raising concerns about election integrity and potential legal implications. Well, yeah, 
We were talking. We we did talk about this. Susan first joined us on May seventeenth, uh, where we talked about election security issues. But she was also back with me on June twenty third, and here was this exchange we had when we were discussing whether or not Brad Raffensperger had any sense in his mind to get away from the touchscreens and go back to paper ballots. Listen to this. We're on with Senior Advisor on Election Security to Free Speech for the People, Susan Greenhall, joining us again. Uh, so how does the Coffee County break-in weigh in on this? Uh, it seems to be the, the item of this conversation that isn't brought up uh, in any media piece that I've seen, but we did have a breach of security at a county elections office and... Is, is there some tie between that breach and potential vulner, vulnerabilities? Well, it, um, it doesn't help to know that a bunch of people who have been willing to cross many legal and ethical lines to try to overturn an election now have copies of the election software that's used in Georgia mm. and also know that that system is vulnerable in, uh, in many ways that were documented by um, the Department of Homeland Security. Um, but it, it's also significant because the Secretary of State is defending his insistence on continuing to use the vulnerable touchscreen machines for the ballot marking part of the voting process because He's saying um, that we have very strong physical security measures. Nobody can actually execute any of these attacks because no one would have ever able to, it would never able to get access to the systems. Um, and that's just falls on its face. We've uh, seen them do it. Yeah. Uh, and we don't, and th there's been slow walking of the investigation. We don't know exactly, did it happen in other counties? There's actually um, concerns that this might've, uh, um, there might've been some similar uh, events in another county called Trutland because mm. the election supervisor that permitted the breach in Coffee County, that permitted all of the Trump allies to march in and access the voting system in Coffee County, after she got fired from Coffee County, she got hired in Trutland County to run their elections. Um, so what was she doing when she had access to that system is something that we need to know. And it's, you know, more than two years later, there really needs to be some serious investigation from both the feds and um, the state level. Again, that conversation was June 23rd. Today, August 14th, CNN headline exclusive. Georgia prosecutors have messages showing Trump's team is behind voting system breach. And the thing that kind of makes me chuckle is that Brad Raffensperger's office lieutenant, like his CEO of his office, the CEO, whatever Brad, Gabriel Sterling's title is, he's making the rounds on uh, Sunday talk show. He's on with John Carl on uh, ABC News this week. And listen to this exchange. How closely are you going to be watching this and, and what will you be looking for? Listen, I started off as a political junkie before I got this job, so I'll be watching it pretty closely, like any other political junkie, uh, just to kind of see what happens. I mean, the, the reality is, before the Bragg indictment in New York, Donald Trump was behind DeSantis. I mean, this has been giving oxygen to his campaigns. This is raising tons of money, and a lot of that money now, as I think was pointed out earlier, is being used to pay for his lawyers and not for an actual campaign. But it's driving him being ahead because he is becoming, make himself a victim. He's making himself a martyr. And a lot of the American people are going behind him because they do feel like some of these things are a little bit of a stretch. Okay. But hear me out, Gabriel. And you're just down the road a piece. Actually, you're probably testifying as I'm recording today's show. Hmm. Hear me out though, Gabriel. Maybe it's the 2016 to 2020 class of the GOP 
who enabled him, giving him vastly more oxygen in the first place. You didn't speak out against this guy until after the 2020 elections because it wouldn't have been politically expedient to. That's right. You allowed him to be in a position he clearly had no business being in. I'm reminded of the turtle on top of the fence post. What's he doing there? There's no business being there. It's breathtaking how the party of personal responsibility can't ever take personal responsibility for sh- that is their own fault. It's no one's fault, but the bootlickers on the right who just let this man do what he was going to do. Once it became apparent he was the front runner and there was no stopping the MAGA train, they all got on board and they all yes-manned him through four years of a presidency and only even when clearly trying to undo election results, did any of them start speaking out. The brave ones were speaking out after election day and before January 6th. The less brave, but still somewhat brave ones, were speaking out the evening of January 6th and have maintained ever since. The feckless, spineless weasels may have said something on January 6th that said, that's enough, we're done, and then got back onto the bootlickery at Mar-a-Lago as soon as they could possibly get their feckless, weaselly asses down there to do so. They're all guilty for giving oxygen to the Donald Trump era of the Republican Party in the first place. Not those who are bringing charges and indictments to justice. Those are grand jurors, not DAs, regular American citizens. Trump and his attorneys, meanwhile, attacking the district attorneys and, by the way, the venues, Atlanta, D.C., because inner city people can't be trusted to be unbiased as seated grand jurors. I don't know about y'all, but I hear that dog whistle. Back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast, this is The Ron Show. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I mean, sure, your job may be giving you a lot of grief, maybe some heartburn. It may drive you absolutely bonkers from time to time. But can your job be as absolutely agonizing as that of a Trump attorney? So Donald Trump has been warned in very judicious terms to kind of keep quiet. And you know how hard that is to keep Donald Trump quiet about his legal goings on. And yet he just can't stay off of truth social. And by the way, warning people against testifying against him. Let me give you a little clip of this from CNN News Central. One of the most concerning things that people pointed out today about his truth social post is that he attacked directly uh, one of the key witnesses in this Georgia case and said, quote, he shouldn't testify. That post reads, uh, I am reading reports that failed former Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, noting that he spelled Jeff's name wrong there, uh, will be testifying before the Fulton County grand jury. He shouldn't. I barely know him, but he was right from the beginning of this witch hunt, a nasty disaster for those looking into the election fraud case that took place in Georgia. He also went on to call him a, quote, loser. Now, um, I think the key thing here, Jim, is it's unclear how a judge, if there are charges brought in this case, would try to talk about his social media activity. We know, as you just mentioned, that in a separate case, the federal case of Donald Trump's uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, she's trying to pose restrictions on uh, his social media activity. I've also spoken with many of Donald Trump's advisors over the weekend, um, and they tell me that they don't expect him to stop posting on social media. They 
Well, no kidding. You couldn't get him to stop posting on social media when you had him in the Oval Office. You expect him to stop posting now? The man is a man-child, and he's one that has never, to anyone's knowledge, ever been parented or guided or been able to have kept quiet that uh, it's his First Amendment right to do so. And then also it's his most direct way of communicating with voters and that he has the right to defend himself. But the key thing here is, is this witness intimidation? Will the judge ultimately decide uh, that he can't be issuing these kind of posts? Has there been any reaction from the court to this yet or no? Well, so in this case, it's hard to, you know, with this exact, the indictment hasn't been brought. And so I think we have to wait and see how the judge in this case, if there is an indictment, how she would react to these kinds of these posts. Understood. By the way, D.A. Fonnie Willis moving at breakneck speed because two people, George Cheedy and Jeff Duncan, Junkin, former lieutenant governor, who were supposed to testify yes or tomorrow, are testifying, like as I'm putting today's show, together. We'll see how soon that comes. Elena Trian, thanks so much. Boris. We're now joined by that key witness set to testify tomorrow, former Georgia lieutenant governor and CNN political commentator Jeff Duncan. We're also joined by former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Jeff, I want to start with you and get your reaction to that social media post by Donald Trump. He's insulting you and calling you out. Uh, Do you believe he's trying to intimidate you as a witness? Well, this close into my testimony, uh, which is going to be tomorrow, I'm going to refrain from any comment with the exception of saying, uh, which was just pointed out, he did misspell my name. (laughs) <laughs> and and how about uh, what you are anticipating you'll be asked about tomorrow? If you won't comment on what Trump said, uh, can you at least give us an idea of what you're anticipating? Well, I'm just going to answer the questions as presented to me, much like I did in the special grand jury. Uh, whatever the questions are, to the best of my ability, I'm going to answer the questions. And, you know, this is an important part of the healing process for the Republican Party. This is painful. Uh, This may feel ugly to some, but this is part of this process, right? We've got to put these facts and figures and details and reality on display for America, specifically for Republicans to see what reality really is. And, you know, the social media game that, that Donald Trump has played over the years uh, it's, it's, it's shallow, right? You don't have to be any more than a few hundred characters worth of information with no facts behind it, with no details to stir the crowd. And, and that's certainly been his game for a number of years, and, and it looks like it's continuing. Now, listen, in full transparency, this show is pre-produced. I say this quite a bit, or at least often enough that I hope it, it breaks through to the regulars. This show airs 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio on, on its app or at AmericaOneRadio.com before we go to podcast platform, usually afterwards, sometimes later that night, sometimes the next morning, depending on how busy my day is, because I am a full-time real estate agent or realtor. I say full-time, and yet I spend a lot of my afternoons putting this show together. In, in any event, uh, as I'm working on today's show, it is a little bit before 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and we're starting to get indications that today may be the day. I have said all along for the last few weeks, I believe it'll happen on or before August 18th, and damn if it isn't the 14th. Uh, <laughs> I also want to point something out, and again, this is this is me putting this together before 3 p.m. Eastern. You may know by the time you're listening to this, uh, sometime after 5.35-ish, 5.40 p.m., that the indictments are already out. I say that because it's starting to look like today may be the day. Uh, there were some documents that were posted to the Fulton County Court's website that were then quickly taken down. They showed charges against Donald Trump for violating the Georgia RICO Act, solicitation of violation of oath by public office, and filing false documents. Multiple conspiracy charges going with them. 
over a dozen charges against a former U.S. president, the way this document reads. Uh, And it looks as though cameras are going to be allowed in the courtroom when Donald Trump is officially indicted. Uh, And don't forget, we, uh, we found out, what, weeks ago that the sheriff, the Fulton County Sheriff said, no special treatment for this guy. Fingerprints, mugshots, they're all on the table. Now, are these charges going to stick? That's a question that um, will be answered in a subsequent trial, whenever that trial happens. Again, I'm putting this show together. It's now uh, 10 minutes before 3 p.m. By the time this goes to air, you may already know, and and I may be having to go back, and if I have time, to redo this segment. Otherwise, it, it just went to bed, and it happened before I could change anything. Nonetheless... What a fun day this has been trying to cover politics on the fly in Atlanta, Georgia. Let me just go ahead and move on to another story that may actually have a resolution before I go to air. Oh, boy. Uh, and, and honestly, before you go, why don't you just do the show live, Ron? Uh, because I can't. It's just not feasible. The station that we are this on, America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com. Uh, by the way, you can download the app on the uh, iTunes or the Google Play Market, whatever your streaming device, you can actually even tell her, A-L-E-X-A, to play the America One Radio app, and she will. Anyway, everything that airs on that is preloaded. I trust me, if, if I could go live, I, I might on occasion. Today might be one of those days, but can't pull that off today. Uh, nonetheless, we are uh, into the deliberation stage now, with the story of the Cobb County school teacher, Katie Rinderley, who was reading the book, the children's book purchased at a book fair at the school called My Shadow is Purple. Anyway, they're in the deliberative stage. Maybe an announcement will be made before this show goes to air. I don't know. We will cover it in full when that does. Nonetheless, we've talked about Katie Lin- uh, Rinderley at great length. We've had a returning on. Uh, we've even had the uh, the president of the uh, the Cobb Educators, Jeff Hubbard is his name, uh, and they all speak glowingly of Katie. Obviously, her attorney will, but Jeff Hubbard, who just represents all Cobb County school teachers uh, as an organization, spoke of her glowing uh, record, that sterling record, nothing but commendations and praise heaped upon her by both those individuals, her permanent record, et cetera, and so on. And yet I want you to listen to this exchange uh, on yesterday's uh, TV show, The Georgia Gang, which airs locally on WAGA Fox 5. Uh, Lori Geary sets up the story, and then you hear from pundits, uh, Melita Easters, uh, as well as Janelle King and uh, Phil Kent. Listen to this. A Cobb County teacher who has been on leave for more than a month over a controversial book could find out soon if she'll be able to keep her job. Due West Elementary fifth grade teacher Katie Rinderley read a book to her fifth graders which challenged gendered norms. Now the district says her decision to read it in class violates the new divisive concepts law. Now Now let's start with this. Gender norms is one thing. It's fine to question gender norms, especially for fifth graders. How many of us went to elementary school, or think back to your elementary school years, think back to your friends, some of the girls who may have been a little tomboyish, didn't mean that they were going to grow up to be lesbians, or even female to male, transgender males, right? They were just a little more rough around the edges than some of the daintier girls who had ribbons in their hair. They liked to play with their brothers. They liked to 
have matchbox cars or light things on fire, you know, silly things that little boys do that sometimes little girls like to do as well. It's just something that they related to. It didn't make them transgender. It didn't make them lesbian. It just meant that they were unique. They themselves challenged gender norms. So naturally, a book to fifth graders or elementary school kids that explains to kids, you don't have to like pink if you're a girl. You don't have to like blue if you're a boy. You may like other colors. You may see yourself as something other than the rigid norms. That's what that book's about. It's got nothing to do. Anyway, let me let you listen in on more of this conversation as it was happening. I'm going to run the table on this one. Janelle, I'll start with you. Yeah, uh, she does not need to have her job back because clearly, I mean, if you, if, even if you didn't know what the policy was, you, should be, you shouldn't be so tone deaf. To, everyone's talking about this. We all know that anything that's centered around challenging gender norms with a transgender character in the book is going to be controversial, and that's something that you need to speak with, with the parents about. Again, this is not about the LGBTQ community. This is about talking about sexuality to children, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. You should not talk about that with without parents present. And that's just it. I don't think there needs to be any more discussion. Melita? Well, hang on. Before Melita chimes in, let's point out, there are no transgender characters in the book. There is someone who decides that they want to go by they or them, use that, but there's no transgender character in the... Janelle, read the book. Oh my gosh. It's on YouTube. It's read to you. Ugh. Well, I think that when you read the kinds of things that were being talked about in the hearing on Thursday, you learn that the policy is not terribly clear, right. the law is not terribly clear, right. and so if people are going to lose their jobs, the laws and the policies need to be clear enough right. that people understand what they are. Absolutely. Our friend, frequent guest of the show, and now a Ron Show coffee mug owner, Melita Easters making sense of that. And, and I think the, the vagueity of the language, the ambiguity, I think that's on purpose. It's, it's to, it's to give that broad brush so that these sort of things can be done again. They're not, they're not quibbling with the fact that the book was purchased at a book fair at the school. No. Well, why was that? Shouldn't that fall under somebody else's purview? Well, whose head rolls for that? Or are we just going to stop at the teacher for daring to crack open a book purchased at a book fair at the school for reading the book to her kids. Now, Phil Kent, let me hold my breath. Here we go. It was very clear. She yeah. was insubordinate, and that's number one. And she's a disgrace as an educator. All I can say is if Katie Rinderley is married or her dad is listening, somebody hold him or them back because who, who is Phil Kent to call anybody a disgrace as an educator, who are you to say that about anybody? He never said that about Herschel Walker, the Senate candidate, who is father to children of women he didn't marry or were even a father figure to those children. Didn't say that. Never said that about Herschel Walker. Never said that about Donald. Grab him by the Trump. Never said that. Katie Rinderley, an exemplary elementary school teacher, who, when she sees kids from her class that she hasn't seen in months because she's been on paid leave since last March, the kids race up to her and hug, tears in their eyes. That's who Phil Kent wants to call a disgrace in their profession? Pardon me, sir, but how dare you? 
And number two, uh, you, you don't deal with this type of topic when you're already told that that's not going to be the topic. And so, uh, yeah, she had to be fired, and I think she appealed, which she had a right to do, and, and she had her grievances aired, and three principals were actually reviewing everything, and they said she was wrong, and you cannot do this. And I think it's up to any school board to have these norms. I don't want my... Uh, six-year-old granddaughter being asked what gender are you i mean i think it's totally inappropriate to go into this especially with young people like she was doing well that's the problem though this wasn't about genders this was about shadows and kids relating to not being in a tightly defined space of blue for boy pink for girl there are many colors in the rainbow and that's not a gay terminology i'm just saying phil who, by the way, was wearing like a a faded corn-colored, you know, jacket on yesterday's show. Not a blue one, not a black one, not the standard gray one. No, he decided to wear a little different color because he was feeling kind of yellow yesterday, right? Do you get it now, Phil? And to his point, he talked about the three principals who were looking into the... Did they look into what books were sold in the damn book fair to begin with? Of course not. Melita had one last point to make. But children as young as my five-year-old granddaughter know when their classmates have two mommies or, in some cases, two daddies. So Yeah, but they don't know what those parents are doing in their bedroom. So we don't need to be talking about sexuality and how do you... I don't think this book well, explained that either. Well, when you start talking Bingo. about what you identify with, when you start talking about who you love and all that stuff, it gets a little tricky and... Janelle didn't read the children's book that she's speaking on. And it's so obvious because the book doesn't go into what goes on in mommy and daddy or daddy and daddy or mommy and mommy's bedrooms. Janelle, I'm telling you, it's read to you on a link on YouTube. I will include it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com for the third time, ma'am. Please know what you're talking about. That's all I'm asking. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. This is the final segment for the Monday, August 14th edition. This could be uh, one of those dates that live in infamy, or it, it could be the 15th. I said uh, late in July, I think it'll be on or before August 18th, that we'll know about the sort of charges, if any, indictments are to be handed out by Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis. We would know on or before August 18th, right? Well, uh, Judge Robert McBurney had uh, told folks in the courtroom earlier in the day <laughs> to, uh, he suggested to reporters to uh, take the opportunity. This was about 4.30 p.m. to give you an idea how I'm trying to piece the show together. Uh, it was about 4.30 this afternoon that he uh, suggested reporters take the opportunity to grab dinner, meaning uh, they're going to run past the 5 p.m., uh, normal operating hours for the courthouse. Uh, I am putting this last segment together. It is, uh, I'm just rolling this now at 5.27 p.m. So I, I don't, I'm trying to confuse you, right? No, I'm not. It's, I'm running about 25 minutes or so ahead of where you are. That's just letting you know just how close I am trying to keep to letting you know uh, what is happening in real time when it comes to the Trump case uh, in Fulton County. We do not have indictments yet, uh, although there are credible signs that we may get them tonight or we may get them first thing in the morning. 
my hunch is now it looks like it could be tonight. So we could have some headlines tonight. Of course, uh, we ask you to follow uh, uh, at Ron Show ATL. We will have all that information uh, as it drops. If it does uh, on our social media, that would be uh, Threads and Facebook, um, Twitter as well. To be honest, I haven't been as good about. I'm I'm like a lot of you. I got on Threads, and I got on Threads. <laughs> so we'll try and do a better job uh, there by uh, keeping the information flow accurate at Ron Show ATL on Facebook and Twitter and Threads. It would also appear, uh, apparently anyway, that we're not going to get a decision from the Cobb County School Board when it comes to the employment of. Due West Elementary teacher Katie Rinderly. Uh, Katie's case was heard uh, in a two-day session yesterday uh, where she had been accused of reading, well, not accused, she readily admits she read the book, My Shadow is Purple. Uh, Of course, the book lends some insinuation, as we talked about earlier, that there is a gender identity and gender norms brought to question uh, in the book that was purchased at a school book fair at that school. And I, you're hearing the notifications. No, sorry. Just a dumb dating app. Uh, <laughs> we're all watching phones right now. Uh, nonetheless, we do not have anything coming from uh, Cobb County schools yet either. And uh, nothing yet as of now coming out of Fulton County. Oh, I do want to share you this one thing though. This just lets you know how crazy the far right is and the sort of white nationalist anger that the MAGA movement and Donald Trump have tapped into. This is Nick Fuentes lashing out at, quote, black immigrant judge, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. That's right. Uh, As she had uh, warned Donald Trump, the former president, about making inflammatory remarks regarding the case stemming from his efforts to overturn his loss in the 2020 election, Nick Fuentes, not too happy that the king has been spoken to in such uh, a disrespectful, if you will, way by a, quote, black immigrant judge. Listen to this inane rant. We have a, we have a black immigrant at a... She's appointed by Obama, another non-citizen, hmm. another non-naturalized non-citizen from Kenya, hmm. presiding over a case of a former president and a job creator and a billionaire and <laughs> an all-around <laughs> titan, admired man. We don't know any of that's true. And this person is going to throw a wrench in, and so she controls the campaign. She's going to talk to the king of America like this, like he's... Like they pull them over for having tinted windows. You're a criminal like anybody else. Uh, No, bitch. Wow. He's the king of America. Wow. You stupid bitch. Go back to Jamaica. Whoa. I mean, lest you think for one minute that that is a glitch in the GOP matrix. No, that is is not a glitch. That is a feature. There's a reason why since the era of Trump, and actually well before then, just way more veiled, even thin at times, still veiled. That's why we have this anti-woke movement. That's why we have uh, AP African American Studies now not getting accredited in states like Arkansas. While we do have European studies still receiving AP credit in states like Arkansas, (laughs) 
No, that it's sorry. Fuentes is not a bug. He's a feature, but they'll pretend to tell you otherwise and point to Tim Scott, who they're not going to vote for. He's not going to get the GOP nomination. They'll point to a state representative here in Georgia who decided she's had enough because of one issue until it dawns on her that she's wandered into the wrong playpen. All right, that's pretty much going to do it for the day. I, I, I had so much other stuff I wanted to touch on. Uh, the the situation in Maui and the right-wing meltdown over President Biden's not having a comment for, I, I believe it was a Fox News reporter who had some gotcha questioning that they wanted to find. Nonetheless, we'll have to cover this all tomorrow. And I'm sure we'll have plenty more from right here in Fulton County to give you as well. Want to uh, thank Alex Joseph for joining us, giving us the latest on the Stop Cop City referendum campaign. Good news if you are one that wants to see that ballot initiative make it onto the ballot. Apparently, they have more than 80,000 votes and are continuing to collect signatures between now and next Monday before they turn all of those ballot signatures in for the city and their uh, internal and external lawyers to pour over. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. And you can find all past shows and audio and more at RonShowATL.com. Thank you for listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. See you tomorrow.